Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Max Lugavere is a filmmaker, TV personality, and the New York Times bestselling author of Genius Foods. And he's back with his latest must-read book, The Genius Life. In this episode, we'll talk about everything from the importance of natural light, sleep, high-intensity interval training, micronutrients, and some of my favorite vitamins and minerals like vitamin D, collagen, astaxanthin, and magnesium, which we all have in our supplement line. So whether you're looking to feel a bit better or optimize, you're going to love this podcast. Max, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jason. It is always a pleasure to have you here. Congrats on the genius life. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited for this book. I've uh, worked hard on it. So let's start with circadian biology. What is it and why is it so critical? It's a big topic um, and it's a, it's a continually evolving science, but it basically the implication is that our bodies operate on a 24-hour timer and that we only have a certain handful of inputs that let our brains and our bodies know what time of day it is. But ultimately, your ability to focus, to pay attention, to digest food and metabolize food properly, to store energy and release energy properly, um, are contingent on inputs that uh, basically let let the body know what time of day it is. And that's because we're diurnal creatures. We have a certain rhythm that we adhere to. We're active during the day. We go to sleep at night. Um, and so I think that the most important takeaway from all the research that I've done for the genius life is that light is either a form of medicine or it can potentially accelerate aging and be, you know, what, what, the research seems to suggest, and as I mentioned, it's continually evolving, uh, a type of carcinogen. Um, so it's super, super interesting stuff. But light, we kind of just, you know, our experience of the environment, we tend to think of as passive. But the light that we allow to enter our eyes first thing in the morning is crucially important in terms of anchoring that circadian clock, which then sets off this 24-hour time. It's sort of like an egg timer, but it's mm-hmm. 20, it takes 24 hours. And light does a number of amazing things for the brain. So for people who wake up like I did today artificially with an alarm clock, there's a good chance that your melatonin levels have not properly subsided. Melatonin is the sleep hormone. It begins to be released by the pineal gland when the sun sets, typically. Um, And it's an amazing hormone, and I'll come back to it because, you know, in part we recognize that it helps us get to sleep, but it's also an anti-aging hormone. It's definitely clearly involved in the reparative and restorative qualities of sleep. It's anti-inflammatory. It's an antioxidant. It's involved in DNA repair. It's a gatekeeper to the process known as autophagy, which is sort of like the KonMari method that biology uses to, to clean your cells. But because it tends to be secreted at night when activity, you know, we're not meant to be as active during the night, it can also reduce insulin sensitivity um, and make us less, uh, you know, it just affects metabolism in a way that is not necessarily as supportive to activity Um, and exercise and thinking at your most clear and focused and coordinated. And so getting bright light into into your eyes in the morning, crucially important for pumping the brakes on melatonin release and dropping it to to basically it's nadir or like a, a you know a zero um which is going to do a lot towards helping you focus pay attention it does great things for your mood and it also makes you more insulin sensitive this was actually shown in a in a study where they gave um healthy patients uh, a melatonin supplement in the morning nobody in their right mind would take melatonin <laughs> in the morning 
But what they did was they showed well, they gave they gave supplemental melatonin, and they found that melatonin actually decreased insulin sensitivity, which we would expect to be true in the afternoon. You know, there's this, this phenomena that's referred to as afternoon diabetes. We all tend to become less insulin sensitive as the day goes on, and there's just another sort of diurnal rhythm um, that our bodies adhere to. And so you want to get that light in through your eyes. It boosts. It's been shown to boost serotonin in the brain, which is a neurotransmitter involved in. Um, having a healthy mood, executive function, and things like that. And the light intensity needs to be about a thousand lux or brighter. Lux are a measure of light intensity. I actually use an app that people can download. It's called Lux. It's like a light meter that you can use on your smartphone. And even on an overcast day, the light emitted from the sky is at least a thousand lux, anywhere between a thousand lux and 10,000 lux, or even 50,000 lux. I mean, there's a huge spread. Um, but that's that's uh, it's super important to get that to get that super you know bright light, whether it means standing by an open window or taking your commute and not wearing sunglasses when you're sitting in your car. Um, about a half an hour is what the research seems to suggest is is useful. So in your perfect world, you're facing uh, facing east, and you know shades open and yeah. sun rises and then you rise with the sun yeah i mean we used to go to sleep with the sunset and rise with the sunrise and today we spend 93 percent of our time indoors and 93 yeah wow it's about 87 percent of our time is spent under roofs and then we spend about six percent of our time in cars um, and that, you know, that, that, that 6% of the time that we spend in our cars actually can be used to, to set our circadian rhythms if we just take off our sunglasses and open up our, all of our windows. But with heavy tints and sunglasses, you're basically, yeah, you're fighting your body's best attempt to anchor itself to the day. I love that you talk about light so much because we tend to talk about nutrition and food and, and moving and exercise, which are obviously huge with regards to well-being, but... Light something that's important. It's with you or or yeah. <laughs> every day. Yeah. And there are things you can do to help optimize that don't cost anything. True. Very true. It's important. It's uh I mean it it really is um I mean I'll just we have this uh these proteins in our eyes. They're called melanopsin proteins. And this is how this all works. So that when we're exposed to very bright light, these proteins flip a switch in uh in a tiny area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is housed in a part of the brain called the hypothalamus. Now, you don't have to remember these, you know, these brain regions, but the reason why I bring it up is because the hypothalamus is a very primordial part of the brain. It's involved in our feelings of hunger, our drive to procreate. It's it handles our metabolic master switch. Um, so it's like deep in the brain, uh, and. And so all that is to say that light is essential to, you know, to our biology, both the presence of it and the absence of it when, you know, when we're attempting to wind down for the day. Something else that's essential to our biology is sleep. Sleep deprivation. Yeah. Not so good, which you talk about in the book. Not so good, especially today. You know, all the fears about coronavirus, I think really, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you're optimizing your sleep is important for your immune health. But as I mentioned, bright light at the end of the day can have an opposite effect, um, we know, as I mentioned, that melatonin is an antioxidant, it's anti-inflammatory, it's involved in DNA repair. DNA damage is at the root cause of aging and of cancer, essentially. So by the, f the fact that we're flooded today, our nights are flooded with artificial light, and it's not just dim light. 
Um, you know, a hunter-gatherer would have had a campfire, there would be a moon in the sky, there would be stars, but today you can easily walk into a drugstore or a supermarket and the light emitted from the fluorescent bulbs in the ceiling can easily reach a thousand lux. So what that means is that by exposing your eyes to extremely bright light at night, which is, again, very commonplace, you're actually pumping the brakes on melatonin at a time of the day when you want melatonin to be properly expressed by your brain. And that can have, you know, a number of potential consequences. But, I mean, think about the fact that light can, you know, through this mechanism, through this axis, act as a a pro-aging agent. Well, you also talk about the connection to weight gain as well. Yeah, well, melatonin, so that's another wonderful feature of melatonin. It was shown recently to be involved in brown fat, in the proliferation of brown fat, which is a, a metabolically active form of fat that burns fat, burns calories, burns sugar. Um... We didn't actually know that adults could carry brown fat with them through adulthood. It was something that was only uh, previously thought to be present in, in infants. Infants can't shiver when they're cold, so they have this... Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they have this, this proliferation of brown adipose tissue, which is basically mitochondria-rich fat cells that to create heat, they burn calories. But now we know that adults not only have brown fat that they, that they carry with them, it accumulates on your... Uh, up and down your spine, on your collarbone, in your armpits, um, on, in your neck. Not only do we have this fat with us that becomes active even at, at, at relatively mild temperatures, um, but we can encourage the proliferation of this type of fat. And it's been shown that melatonin actually does that. So what's your, in your perfect world, what's, what's the ideal nighttime routine that anyone listening should try to implement? Yeah, really good question. I mean, I think making sure that your bedroom is dark and cool about 65 66 degrees 66 degrees actually also incidentally is a temperature which was shown in another trial to further encourage the proliferation of this this super healthy brown fat this is a good fat that we all want on our bodies um and it was shown in this trial when they took when they took um subjects and they had them sleep overnight in labs that were cooled to about 66 degrees. So that's why I think keeping your bedroom at around 65, 66 degrees, not only is it going to be really good for your um, for your sleep, because we tend to sleep better in cooler temperatures, but it's going to be really good for your metabolic health. Um, and, you know, they've shown that cooler temperatures without making any changes to one's diet can improve insulin sensitivity in people with type 2 diabetes. So I think allowing your body more time in an, in a, in an environment that is uh, a cooler temperature, very beneficial. And cool, no pun intended, cool things seem to happen when this, even, even when we just do this overnight. Yeah, Colleen and I do that. We do the about 67 degrees. We do super dark. We try to turn off our devices and create a ritual and you know, sometimes we watch Netflix, but you know, that's awesome. But yeah, when you, when you have, when you have a significant other who you're on the same page with, it's a beautiful thing. And so something else you talk about in the book, which a lot of people don't know about, and it's, it's super critical is AMPFK. So let's talk about AMPFK. Why, why quite frankly, should we all care about it? Well, AMP, it's, it's a, it's basically a, it's the, it's the switch that, researchers believe is um, the lever that's pulled during calorie restriction um, and also high intensity interval training that's responsible for the longevity promoting effects of calorie restriction. Um, It's activated when the body is in a state of energy crisis. When you're restricting your calories or when you're doing high intensity interval training or even resistance training, 
you're activating AMPK. AMPK is basically what um, becomes active when there's a buildup of AMP in the cell. ATP is the energetic currency of cells, right? And so normally under most uh, you know, day-to-day conditions like right now, there's enough ATP to go around because what we're doing is not really demanding too much in terms of our energy production. Um, and there's ample energy to go around from our fat tissue, from, you know, glucose that we might have stored in our muscle. But when you suddenly deprive the body, either through not eating as much, you know, through calorie restriction, which is one of the most reliable ways to extend lifespan in smaller organisms, or when you do high intensity interval training, which creates that momentary energy crisis, uh, in your cells, there's basically a, a tilting in the balance of AMPK, um, which is like a low energy, it's like an energy depleted form of ATP um, to ATP. And so AMPK, it's activated by AMP. And this pathway is really beneficial. It uh, What it does is it dramatically um, makes available stored fuels in the body, fat, sugar, um, and it also makes your cells more efficient because you're in energy crisis. You need to batten down the hatches and make sure that you can survive whatever this thing is, whether it's a, you know, a particularly food scarce winter or you're running from a lion, like AMPK is, you know, it's there to save your life. And so why I think AMPK is so important is because, because it's this lever that we know is involved in life extension. Um, being able to to pull it on demand, you know, with our exercise and with our, with our lifestyles, I think is really empowering because we may be able to achieve some of that longevity, um, with these very empowering and simple things that we can do in our lives. There are also a few food, food compounds that have been shown to also potentially stimulate, stimulate AMPK. Some veggies, some veggies. Yeah. Uh, curcumin we got has been, you know, has been suggested to stimulate AMPK, which again is this longevity pathway. Interestingly, metformin. So a lot of people are now talking about metformin. Um, metformin's not a veggie. Diabetes drug, but yeah, (laughs) but it's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's being studied. You know, a lot of longevity researchers are talking about it. I mean, the one downside of metformin is that it's also been shown to, um, negate some of the beneficial effects of of exercise. exercise. So it's like the, the knock is if you're super healthy and you exercise, not for you. Yeah. Correct. And also sulforaphane, which is... Sulforaphane. Broccoli. Yeah, broccoli sprouts, cruciferous vegetables, the reishi mushroom, um, you know, might stimulate AMPK. Vinegar, it's one of the reasons why I think vinegar is so uh, beneficial. And astaxanthin. Astaxanthin. My favorite. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge (laughs) fan of astaxanthin. Yeah, so I mean, AMPK is is really, uh, you know, I think it's super empowering. And then there's all these like downstream pathways that it activates when you stimulate AMPK. So basically the takeaway is whether it's the food compounds that we mentioned or high intensity exercise or, you know, occasional deliberate um, bouts of fasting. Uh, the reason why that they may all work to promote your longevity is through this through this AMPK, and I go into much greater detail in the book in in the sure. Genius Life, but super empowering to to talk about. So if we stay on exercise for a minute, specifically high intensity interval training, like what what is it that makes it so effective? And and just more generally, you know, we've been exercising forever, and we seem to just still be doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, I think over the past couple of years, HIT training, high-intensity interval training, has kind of come into the spotlight. And, you know, it's it's so beneficial. AMP, you know, K, as I mentioned, uh, is one of those mechanisms. It causes this, this 
crisis in your body that essentially sends out the bat signal to your cells that get them to adapt and to grow stronger. Um, one of the one of the mechanisms by which high intensity interval training can can conceivably boost our our health and help us live longer and avert age related disease is that it helps to clean up old and worn out mitochondria, which are the energy you know producing organelles of cells. And it also stimulates a process called mitochondrial biogenesis, by which new healthy mitochondria are created. And this is important because cells can contain thousands of mitochondria, depending where the cell happens to be. You know, like a liver cell can have a thousand mitochondria in it. Uh, it's this very malleable characteristic, um, or quantity rather. And uh, and we know that old, worn out, dysfunctional mitochondria are associated with, you know, aging, with neurodegeneration. And so high intensity interval training really seems to be sort of like a fountain of youth. And it's in the, I think the key to performing it is to do it at a level that is really at the, you know, giving it the most effort that you can, having it be at a certain level of intensity. Um, and this is going to be different for every person. Breaking a sweat, feeling a little out of breath. Yeah. Like going to the gym and, you know, whether it's the rowing machine or the assault air bike mm-hmm. or the battle ropes, giving it your all, doing that for 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 seconds and then stopping, recuperating for a minute, and then doing it again. It's essentially, it's just an overload that tells, it's like sending a text message to your genome that your cells need to adapt or die, and they don't want to die. Now, is it, is it five minutes, 10 minutes, seven minutes, or does it vary per individual? I think it varies, but um, there's a study that I cite in the book that found that 10 minutes of high-intensity interval training um, was able to help subjects achieve the same boost in their cardiorespiratory fitness as about 45 minutes of steady state cardio, which is great news. Cause I don't, I don't love doing cardio. I hate cardio. Yeah. Last time I ran was the last basketball game I played in 1998. Wow. Otherwise I, I joke, I only run when I'm chased. Yeah. That doesn't happen same. anymore. Um, same. Yeah. I, this is great news because I hate doing cardio and cardio can have, I don't hate it because it's not good for you. It is good for you. Um, but I think that a lot of people overdo it with the cardio. And so high intensity interval training, I think is a great, um, alternative modality. And when I say 10 minutes of it, um, this study used a two minute warm up. So just warming up, you know, making sure that your, your joints are lubed up and that you're, uh, you know, you're getting your aerobic sort of base going. Um, but then all it takes is like four or five cycles of this, like all out activity followed by a minute, you know, 45 seconds to a minute of, of, of recuperation and then doing it again. And then a a one minute cool down. So I'm just a huge fan of anything you can do under 10 minutes. Yeah. I think the knock on wellness, you know, people say, Oh, it's expensive. And and then people say, I don't have time. And so if you take away time and a lot of these things, so if we talk about intermittent fasting, we talk about high intensity interval training, like you don't really need resources to do these things. Yeah. I'm all about efficiency yeah. when it comes to you know health and wellness routines. And so, talking about things that are that are free, nature, vitamin D, nature, vitamin D. This is a big topic that I cover in the Genius Life. I actually, a friend of mine was surprised that I was able to write four pages about vitamin D <laughs> solely. Yeah. But um, but I think it's really important. Um, it's a hormone in the body. It it affects the function of five percent of the human genome. So it's gonna be it's gonna be crucial. And three quarters of the population is deficient in vitamin D. I think one of the most interesting things that I came across um, in doing my research is that if you're not consuming adequate levels of magnesium, 
Magnesium. I know that we're both fans of magnesium. You hit on all my favorite things that are in our products. Astaxanthin, <laughs> magnesium, vitamin D. We'll go to collagen. That's why I love you. We love all the same yeah. same, same uh, vitamins, minerals. And, you, and you're not paying me, to be clear. I'm no, not. Yeah, I have, I, have, I have no financial affiliation here, but magnesium is amazing. Um, so the enzymes that convert the vitamin D that our skin creates into its actual, um, you know, hormone form, its active hormone form in the body are both dependent on um, magnesium mm-hmm. in the liver, in the kidneys, and 50% of the population doesn't consume adequate magnesium. So I love to get magnesium from food. I mean, pumpkin seeds are a wonderful source, dark chocolate, almonds, um, I'll occasionally, uh, you know, supplement, which I think can be very useful because, you know, it's just hard to find. Um, it's hard to get. Uh, mm-hmm. Magnesium is a macro mineral. We need about 400 to 500 milligrams of it every single day. And so it's just generally in the way that most people eat today. Um, it's not an easy mineral to to find, although, you know, almonds, dark chocolate. Uh, dark, yeah, have a lot. <laughs> yeah, dark leafy greens. Magnesium is at the center of the chlorophyll molecule. So in the produce section, anytime you see green um, produce, for the most part, it's going to be a, a decent source of, of magnesium. And so what about, uh, you mentioned collagen, have to, you're a fan of collagen, have to talk about collagen. Yeah, big collagen fan. Um, yeah, I think, so these are all like, you know, when I, when I make dietary recommendations, when I make recommendations, for example, to get more sun, I think it's important that we have, we have these like more nuanced conversations. So just to close the loop on the vitamin D thing, spending excess time in the sun can create DNA damage, which we know is, you know, pro-aging. Um, magnesium is actually involved in DNA repair, uh, in the body. It's essential for all of the 50 DNA repair enzymes. So if you're trying to increase your vitamin D levels without getting adequate magnesium, not a good, not a good recipe for health. And, um, and you might actually not even see your vitamin D levels budge. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're taking a vitamin D supplement, if you're spending time in the sun without adequate magnesium and collagen is sort of a similar thing in that if you're eating an omnivorous diet, if you're eating ample muscle meat, which we know is... Um, you know, most of the meat that we eat today, whether it's chicken breast, turkey breast, or uh, steaks and the like, um, you're consuming lots and lots of uh, a compound called methionine, which is not bad. It's an essential amino acid, but it's very concentrated in muscle meat. And typically, um, a hunter-gatherer, you would have to assume, would be balancing methionine out um, with glycine, which is found primarily in collagen, in collagenous tissue, organ meats, skin bones, you know, in the creation of bone broth, you get lots and lots of collagen, for example. Um, and I think that for good health, we need a balance of both glycine and methionine. Mm-hmm. Glycine is used in the body to buffer methionine. And if you don't consume adequate glycine, you might be um, kind of strangling your body's ability to, pre- to create glutathione, which is the master antioxidant and detoxifier. And it's huge for immunity. It's huge for immunity. Yeah. So for somebody who's on like a like an om- omnivorous diet, which I certainly am, I think supplementing with uh, collagen or getting collagen in your food, super, super important. And, and for me, I, I've sort of gone pescatarian in my 40s, hmm. and I feel like I need it more. Yeah. I don't really eat meat anymore. My, my, lip, my lipid profile goes in the wrong direction if I start to have a lot of red meat. Interesting. Changed in my 40s. Interesting. Yeah. Very my interesting. 30s, it would be like, no difference. It was interesting. Yeah. Really? But with red meat? Yeah. Like I would see, I, I'm like, I was a hardcore carnivore. My, mm. my, my face is on the wall of the Palm Steakhouse in Midtown <laughs> next to Adam Sandler and Joe Namath. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's, That's how amazing. much uh, I, I like red meat, like 
maybe twice a day. Wow. Uh, and then started to tone it down. And then I would still have red meat, but in like my four, I'm 45 now. I definitely found, and now I get testing every quarter, I like monitor everything. I, I love it. But my lipids, so like LPA, particles, all that stuff will go in the wrong direction if I start to have a lot of red meat. But it was, it was, it was for me in my 40s. Wow. It changed. Something changed, changed and whatever. I'm, I'm a six foot seven anyway. I got, wow. and my, so I've got some weird genes. Yeah, we all do. Um, but something, getting in the weeds, two, two other, uh, I, I always pronounce these wrong. Is it zeaxanthin? Yeah, that's that's good. And lutein, good yeah, lutein, 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 zeaxanthin. I'm, I'm working. I asked zeaxanthin. I got down now. Yeah, but these two. So, <laughs> let's talk. Relatively unknown. What are they, and, and why are they critical? So these are two carotenoids, like astaxanthin, which we talked about earlier. Astaxanthin is found primarily in marine animals. Mm-hmm. You'll see it in wild salmon and shrimp and lobster. Um, but lutein and zeaxanthin are found in plants. And they're also found in egg yolks. They're found in the fat of grass of beef. When cows eat grass, which are rich in lutein and zeaxanthin, the, these carotenoids accumulate um, in their fat tissues. So I'm a big, as you, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of micronutrients. And lutein and zeaxanthin, um, though not essential, they've been shown to uh, be very bef- beneficial for eye health. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that about six milligrams of combined lutein and zeaxanthin every day can help you ward off age-related macular degeneration. Um, and your eyes are actually neural tissue. So now we know that actually these same carotenoids are able to accumulate in the brain, in the central nervous system, and their uh, their consumption and their concentration are associated with better cognitive aging, which is a topic that's very important to me. And they've also shown that um, in young and healthy people, this was a University of Georgia study that I cite in the book, that the um, that supplementing with about 24 milligrams, I'm sorry, 12 milligrams, of combined lutein and zeaxanthin can lead to a boost in the brain's visual processing speed. So an actual boost in brain function from consuming lutein and zeaxanthin. Um, in about uh, a cup of cooked kale, you get 24 milligrams. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, that's I love a lot. it. Yeah, kale is one of the best sources of, uh, of lutein and zeaxanthin. Um, and so yeah, for their, for their beneficial effect on the brain, they, they act like antioxidants in the brain. Um, I'm a huge fan of these two carotenoids. And generally, anytime you see um, colored produce, uh, you're gonna, you know, you'll be getting adequate amounts or, or you know, optimal amounts of these of these compounds. So something I think on a lot of people's minds these days: uh, travel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then stress and stress about travel. So you know, how, how do you travel? What do you recommend to people? What are some of your hacks? Oh, man. I mean, I do love to travel, but yeah, we live in (laughs) treacherous times, right? We do. Well, I think, and we were talking about this before we started rolling, whatever you can do to keep your immune system up. So de-stressing, and we can talk talk about stress uh, in a bit, but generally making sure that you're managing your stress levels. I think that, um, you know, aside from travel, I think people, I mean, hopefully you're going to be drinking less like alcohol less because of this whole scare because we know that alcohol when you you know drink chronically it can negatively affect your immune system it negatively affects your sleep you know i mean there have been times in college when i was like you know going out a lot and i would just get sick chronically because because of the comp you know my immune system having been compromised eating a healthy diet doing what you can um, staying hydrated and then supporting your immune system i was talking to an expert um, in vitamin c and he was a big proponent of 
uh, how vitamin C can be useful in terms of preventing, helping, helping to prevent viral infections. Yeah, people um, have vitamin C, elderberry, yeah, AC, all these things. glutathione. Um, exercise, you know, Exer- yeah. exercise is super, super important for boosting immune system, but then also just spending more time in nature. Um, you know, we know that just a, a brief stint in nature, thanks to research coming out of Japan, can boost natural killer cells. Um, which are sort of like the front lines of defense that your, you know, that your immune system uses to ward off pathogens and, and other potential invaders. So yeah, doing what you can. And then in terms of stress, you know, we live in stressful times, obviously, and not all stress is something that we can that we can necessarily wish away. So one of the concepts that I bring up in the Genius Life that I'm super excited for that I, I haven't read about in other books, I've only seen it mentioned in the medical in the medical literature is this concept of cross-adaptation. So while you might not, there might be stressors in your life that you can't necessarily uh, get rid of right away, you can actually make yourself more resilient to stress. And so this idea of cross-adaptation, I think, is really empowering because what it implies is that by performing physical exercise, by, uh, em- by exposing our- ourselves to you know, cooler temperatures or even hot temperatures by sitting in a sauna, you actually become more resilient to those individuals, uh, mm-hmm. you know, stimuli, but that there's a spillover effect that can actually make you more psychological resilient as, psychologically resilient as well. This has been well documented in exercise. By, by doing physical exercise, we become more psychologically resilient to stress, shown in animals primarily, but um, there is an association. People who are in greater physical uh, health and, and exercise more tend to have less stress. Yeah, I can't do the, uh, the Wim Hof method. I no. can't do the cold, but I can do saunas. I just yeah. can't do it. It's just not. There's, there, there's so many other things that in this world I'll do. I'll try. I'm just like, I, I've tried. it's just not for me. Yeah. Not for me. I um, Yeah, I love cold water immersion, man. It's like it's one of my favorite things, but it's painful. Maybe I, it's psychosomatic because I go back to college and playing basketball, and I sit in the ice tub. Ice, I'm just like, oh, I can't. Wow. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> it's all psychosomatic going back to... Yeah. Uh, so my last question, I thought this was so interesting in the book, you know, surgery. Most of us think surgery, you know, let's get up early, let's have at it, surgery first thing in the morning. You say no, and the, the data supports not having surgery yeah. in the morning. I was like, whoa, this is interesting. So let's, let's close with that. Yeah, well, first of all, we don't, most of us don't want any surgery, right? But if you, there is this, uh, so going back to circadian biology, there has been a suggestion in the literature, and, you know, it's sort of a, an observational study Um I think you know further further testing is definitely required. But there was a study that found that people who got surgery in the afternoon actually had better healing, and you could chalk this up to uh, the fact that surgeons are potentially um, you know have better coordination and greater alertness in the afternoon, right. which we know you know as I mentioned coordination and alertness these are all. Uh, important skills when I've got a knife in me of course important (laughs) skills but in all of us these are related to what time of day it is and Mm -hmm. to getting that quality light into your eyes they're they're, they you know we are our cognitive um, performance is contingent on our circadian biology and so surgeons may perform better that might be a, a you know that might be true but um what they also found was that there were genes activated um, differentially, depending on what time of day the patients uh, had the surgery, that were involved in healing, mm. which was which was super interesting. So there is this there is a suggestion that actually we might be more we might be better equipped to heal in the afternoon. 
I love it. Well, Max, congrats on the book. There's some great micro in here. You've got the macro. You've got it all. Again, congrats. Genius life. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I'm super excited for the book. So The Genius Life, available everywhere. Thank you.